Annie Lam. Now to mark International Women's Day today, we're going to look at gender equality in the workplace. Spain has just announced a gender equality law that aims for equal representation of men and women in politics and business. What about in Hong Kong then? Is it an equitable place for women? What are we falling short on? After 9.15, we'll look at a survey on youth poverty in Hong Kong. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us on backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio, Stephanie Ng, founder and executive director of Body Banter, a charity dedicated to empowering voices in conversations about body image and mental health. She was recently uh, awarded AmChamp's 19th Women of Influence Award. And on the line, we have Christine Yu, co-founder of Sophia, a female-focused financial education platform. Also joining our discussion is lawmaker Lam Chin Singh from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions. Good morning, Ms. Ng. Good morning. Good morning, Miss. Good morning, Miss Yu and uh, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Good morning. Good morning. I just mentioned uh, what Spain is doing to promote gender equality. Um, Miss Ng, uh, how do you think Hong Kong is doing in pursuing uh, gender equality? So, um, yeah, I think Hong Kong is actually taking great strides um, in in representing women, and you know, I've been really encouraged especially surrounding International Women's Day, um, to see lots of different initiatives popping up, um, promoting women's voices. And I'm also really encouraged to see um, some organizations that are doing great work in Hong Kong to keep women safe and to promote women's rights. Um, so a shout out to one of the organizations that I've previously worked with, Teens Key, and they are a charitable organization that um, takes a holistic approach to supporting young marginalized women, um, as well as their sexual and reproductive health. So obviously there is much to be done still um, in Hong Kong's um, kind of representation of women in the workplace. Um, and I know that this is an issue, but I also did want to start on a on a positive note and say that there is good work being done in Hong Kong as well to support women. So, uh, Stephanie, you with Body Banter, yes. and you guys are interested in body image um, and... And, uh, and mental health. And mental yes. health. Mm-hmm. Um, do you specifically see more women than men coming to um, seek help, and seek help is the right way, or interested in the topic? Yeah, I think that um, because of the kind of the dominant narrative surrounding body image, which is that it's a primarily female issue, um, a lot of the times that, um, you know, these young ambassadors, these um, young people who are interested in or have had lived experience with body image concerns, those people that come to us are women um, or, you know, they're of the female gender. And um, this is not, but I think that what's important to point out here is that body image concerns and eating disorders um, do not discriminate. You know, they affect um, people of all genders and backgrounds. Um, and so I think, you know, uh, it's it's kind of um, a misconception um, that it only affects women. And this kind of um, really dominant uh, or kind of the, the skew toward people who um, are female in our group um, really make silences um, young men who are struggling with these issues as well. So I really hope that in the future, you know, we can also highlight the voices of men. All right. Uh, let's go to Miss Yu. Um, good morning. Good morning. Now, um, you have a background in finance and banking, a, a traditionally male-dominated industry. How do you think gender balance in the sector has uh, shifted over the years? 
Well, I think that there's been a lot of change. Um, and I think, again, just starting on the positives, I think when I um, was in, you know, I like to say I grew up on two trading floors. Um, so the majority of my career has been spent um, in traditional finance. Um, and I would say that, you know, I did see a lot of women around me in the sector. I just didn't see a lot of women making capital allocation decisions. I didn't see a lot of women, you know, in the big seats of decision making. I didn't see women, you know, making decisions on um, trading P&L or, or, or P&L in general. Um, and I think it's, you know, fast forward to today, I think we are seeing a lot of great concerted efforts. Um, in the financial services sector um, to really um, ensure that, um, that their diversity is present um, in their leadership, um, especially um, in the capital allocating decision roles. But I do think there is more to go. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I'd love to kind of get into that with you today. But I think that, you know, that's the basic, right, that, that we, we want to see um, some change happening. And change is happening. Um, but, you know, for, for someone like me who works in gender, um, who cares deeply about women and their financial equity, um, I do, you know, want to focus on, you know, the, the, the issue of women um, and their ability to create wealth and have those decision-making powers because, you know, be having a seat at the table, you know, it, it matters, um, you know, in, in, in women and their wealth creation journey. Yeah, so, um, um, Christine, you, you are a co-founder of Sophia, which is a financial education platform for women. Now, what are some of the um, issues in financial uh, investment or finance in general that are specific to women that women encounter and men don't? I, that, this is a topic uh, very close to my heart. Thank you for the question. So there is this thing called the gender wealth and investing gap. And what this is, is that women do not invest at the same rates that men do. And as a result, they retire with so much less wealth than men. In fact, they retire with about 25% less, and this is globally, um, but this actually widens um, in higher skilled roles. So that is staggering, and especially to think that women are living longer lives than men. So our money has to stretch out for way longer. Um, and, you know, there are many stats, but, uh, you know, generally, you know, women can lose over a million U.S. dollars over the course of their careers by not investing. But everyone asks me this question, well, well, you know, why? Why is there a gender wealth and investing gap? And I think we can take a look at two main factors, which is the gender pay gap, which means we just make less money than men. That is a fact. Um, and also the role of traditional gender roles, right? And in, in terms of, you know, when we're taking a step back from our careers um, and, and our ability to create wealth. And if I, you know, had to break down, for example, going back to the gender pay gap, um, you know, I think that this actually paints um, the picture for women in Hong Kong. So I think that, you know, when, when women are under 20 years old, they actually out-earn men by just a percent. Um, by the time women are in their 30s, they under-earn men by 11%. And by the time women are in their 60s, they under-earn men by 50%. I mean, let that sink. I think that's that always, you know, sends chills down my spine. What happens um, in those intervening years between age 
30 and 60. Most women take a step back from the careers they or they prioritize supporting their financial, their, sorry, their family support, right? And they, they take on the unpaid labor of caregiving, whether it's for, for young children um, or the elderly in their in their families. And so what happens as well in this time? Well, as they take a step back from their careers, as they take on the unpaid um, labor um, of caregiving at home, they also are deferring in long-term investment decisions to men. Um, a UBS study actually shows that women take the lead, 80% of women take the lead on short-term financial planning, where that's, you know, the cash management, the budgeting. But just 24% of women take the lead for their families um, with regard to investing and insurance. And that deferment um, is seen through, you know, really deferring to their partners um, through marriage. So it's funny because people ask me, well, well, is it just that women are more conservative um, in their investing outlook or is it that women lack the confidence to invest? You know, I think the, the, a very simple answer would say yes to both those questions, but that doesn't get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that women have barriers to creating their wealth because a, the gender pay gap, which I've just talked about, and B, the role of traditional gender roles um, and how that plays and who takes on the unpaid labor and who is basically taking on that wealth creation, right, whether they're, you know, taking on their careers uh, and, and who does the caregiving. Right. Miss Miss Yu, so you're not just talking about difficulties for women uh, to climb the top of the corporate ladder. You're talking about um, just simple working in general. I mean, because of their traditional roles, you're talking about their caregiving roles. Um, let's go to Mr. Lamb for a moment. Mr. Lamb. Yeah. yeah. Hello. You, hello. Good morning. You, you just uh, recently did a study on that. Uh, what difficulties are women facing in, in, uh, in finding work? Um, um, actually, I think in the past few years, uh, in fact, the women's rights and benefits was improved, uh, uh, especially in the workplace. Uh, for example, the 14-week statutory maternity leave support the female to take care of their newborn baby. And also the government amend the sex uh, discrimination ordinance, which prohibit uh, discrimination against and harassment uh, towards the breastfeeding women. And at the past uh, decade, uh, the employees retraining board also provide many training to women and they can learn new skills and to join the workforce again after their children grow up. And most of them can participate in frontline service industry. And at the past, many uh, uh, women engage in service industry. They are non-skilled worker and suffer from low salary. And, and the minimum wages uh, level implement since uh, 2011 so that the female frontline worker can have a basic protection. And, and it can, I, I think it can attract more female to join the workforce. But although the benefit was improved, but now, Nowadays, the women also face some new challenge. For example, uh, the women uh, could they need to work and also need to take care of their children. They face many difficulties because there's not enough child care service in Hong Kong. And, and let's say an example, some of our trade union members, they are female and they find a job and tell the employer that they need to take care of their, their children and need to finish the work on time and cannot overtime work 
and also cannot work in Sunday, and then the employer will tell them uh, go home first and and wait for the message, and finally will not uh, may not employ them. So uh, uh, that's the problem. And another point is that. Uh, although there are many senior uh, government officials are female, and, and the government increased the ratio of female uh, participation in government advisory and statutory bodies, and we can see many successful stories, but uh, in fact, the FH uh, salary of the female is much lower than the male, according to the statistic department information. I, I think mainly because uh, uh, some of the female participate in part-time job or become non-skilled worker in the service industry and, and their salary is low usually and, and without any promotion pathway and no career future. And, and also most of them are engaged in non-skilled service industry and, and also the government Close the minimum wages level two years ago, and some of the grassroots workers do not have a salary increase in the past three to four years, and and most of them are female workers. So, so yeah, but, but so they still is inflation. So that's the problem, I think, especially for the uh, women in in the grassroots. Okay, so um, you know, according to the Census and Statistics Department, uh, right now, like. Uh, 49% of, of the workforce in Hong Kong, uh, and in fact, this was since 2016, are women. And the, the pay gap, uh, between men and women, obviously women being paid less, was, um, $3,500 back in 2006. But now it's, it's quite a bit more. It's over $5,000. You as a lawmaker, Mr. Lam, what do you mm. think can be done to address this, um, gender pay gap? Um, I think one of the uh, one uh, uh, I think uh, the government can, uh, for example, provide more childcare service so that you release the workforce of the female, uh, because Hong Kong female labour uh, force participation is only about 52 percent, which is lower than the labour force participation rate of male, and also lower than some of. Uh, country like Singapore and Australia, and so, so the first the first thing we can do is to provide more childcare service, and so that more uh, women can join the workforce. But and and other thing is that uh, we can see in the budget uh, last week uh, the government will uh, input uh, hundred million to strengthen support for women development in crew. Uh, helping them to upgrade the skill to join the labor market. Um, uh, when we're talking about the training for the women, because now many women engage in service industry, uh, frontline position, but I think after the pandemic situation and follow the development of new technology, some of the service industry may decline, and, and I think the female workers need to change their job. So the government can make use of the resources and, and now facilitate the innovation technology development and we have reindustrialization and there may be a economic transformation. So many new industries for those frontline positions in the new industry, I think whether we can upgrade the skill of the female workers so that they can change to a new area, 
change to new job and, and new industry. That's very important for our future human resources, so that uh, not all the female only uh, participate in in the in the frontline position in in the non-skilled service industry, but they can participate in the new industry in the future. I think uh, maybe it can improve. Uh, their benefit and salary. All right, uh, Mr. Lam, uh, we have another guest on the line. It's uh, Vera Yoon, business and economics lecturer from the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Ms. Yoon. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, so far in our discussion, we've uh, been uh, talking about uh, gender pay gap. We've been talking about the lack of support for women, especially in the area of childcare. Um, what's the situation like in academia? Uh, in academia, I mean, it, I mean so you, you mean our work situation? Yes. Uh, we still have more male than female, especially in fields like um, science, engineering, and also economics. Uh, it's improving, and actually, in the U.S., it's actually much improved because they kind of positive discriminate. Uh, but they have more racial issues than gender issues right now. So the gender issues between transgender issues. So uh, it's better in the U.S. I'm not sure whether we should use the word better because some male actually complain that they're being positively discriminated against. So that they don't think it's fair because they think they're better. Okay, um, according to the University Grants uh, Committee, their figures show that uh, the number of undergraduates, anyway, in universities in Hong Kong, um, there are significantly more women than men. In fact, um, 53,500 more female students um, than in, in UGC-funded universities. You are saying that, well, you're with, with faculty. Are you saying that there's a difference between the number of undergraduates enrolled um, and, and at the faculty level, like more women are in as undergraduates, but less of them uh, actually read I'm faculty? I'm talking about faculty level. But for university students, I think overall we have more female students, but it's like um, stratified across different fields. And again, if you're in like art, they're like 70% uh, female. But if you're in like engineering, math, that kind of field, they're significantly more male. Why do you think that is? Uh, there are different reasons is i think one reason is like a social conditioning saying that you know from when they were young you know girls are asked to study art subjects and then boys uh you know asked to study science subjects you know that that kind of stereotyping could still exist and then i think for this kind of um major choice somehow it's like due to their own wish and also according to what what kind of subject they have studied before and also their um, public exam results. Uh, I'm not sure because some university they only do art subjects and there could be more art subjects you know in, in general in, in that sense but it really depends. Stephanie, do you, I mean you studied in the United States I believe, do you find that there's a difference you know, in, in gender proportions in different subjects at university? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to jump off what um, 
Dr. Yoon was saying, um, which is that, you know, um, what we know about Hong Kong and um, kind of the, uh, you know, between the different subjects is that in psychology, <laughs> which is the field that I'm in, um, and also um, in the field of linguistics, which is what I'm also studying right now, um, there is overwhelmingly um, more women um, that are represented in um, in those kind of artsy fields. Um, and that was similarly the case when I was studying um, clinical psychology um, in the U.S. And a lot of the department that I was in, um, you know, a lot of these people were women. Um, and the, the few men that were in, um, in those departments would say, oh, like, you know, um, I feel there was a discussion of feeling out of place as well, which I think is really quite a shame because just as Dr. Yoon was saying, um, you know, we shouldn't discourage our young men from feeling like they can have empathy um, and feeling like they can um, relate to other people, which is commonly discussed as a very female trait, um, but really shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't have things to say like, oh, you know, boys don't cry, for example. So I think that's a huge issue as well. Christine, you do you do you yeah. find there's a big difference between um, you know in, in in terms of women participation in different disciplines of of uh, education? Sorry, do you mean in terms of um, in education generally, or or, or and and so so so, so what we were talking about is uh, Dr. Yoon was was uh, saying that in um, STEM subject and science, for example, mm. she believes there's a stereotype that that is more for men than women. Do you find that to be true? I mean, I think you know you can certainly um, understand you know the way you know. Um, children right the way in the way they're raised into you know what toys they play with right mm -hmm. um is there a distinct gender difference and you know are women more encouraged um for example to the color pink um to you know dolls versus legos for example i mean i think that there are a lot of clues in society um where we do find these um this gender coding if you will that you know well women you know at the end of the day you really aren't seeing um enough uh, women uh, in stem careers so i i do take that point um I, I think though that um for me as well i think the key issue that I'm, I want to tease out here a little bit more on this program, just hearing what everyone's been saying, is it doesn't matter what industry um, it is, but um, the reality is that, you know, it's not about fixing women. I mean, I, yes, I, I agree that, you know, there's a lot of upskilling that needs to happen, um, you know, to, to transform uh, the careers that are possible for women. But I think the number one detriment to women having a broader and more impactful um, contribution kind of in not only just wealth creation and, and financial equity, um, but also just generally um, in a, a diverse um, career um, is really, again, how are families viewing who takes care of the kids and the elderly, right? It's really about traditional gender roles. Right. It, and uh, caregiving is a family um, responsibility. And I think that that is the key thing that we need to address here. It's not just, you know, uh, a woman's role to be doing that. I think that is what um, kind of gets in the way for women um, in, in society. You seem to be describing a, a, a sort of cultural tradition. Um, do you find that that is um, more the case in, say, Asia uh, than than in some other parts of the world? The, the sort of stereotypical, like you describe, girls wear pink, that, that kind of thing. 
I, I look, I think that the, maybe when you kind of drill down to kind of more detailed statistics, you know, maybe the statistics will slightly vary depending on the geography. But I do think that these are global things. So this is not just a Hong Kong issue, right? I think um, the gender pay gap and traditional gender roles are both culprits um, as to why, for example, you know, women can't create wealth. This is a global phenomenon. And I think these are things that we need to tackle, um, you know, jointly um, to make sure that there is financial equity um, for women um, in society. So what do you think women should do in order to address um, that inequity? Well, I don't know if it's just women doing things. I think society, men and women, um, have to together um, really break these barriers of traditional gender roles. Um, I think in terms of the gender pay gap, I think we are seeing a lot of efforts, you know, by um, top-down approaches by, you know, companies, financial services companies, to really kind of make sure that workplaces are more equitable um, in terms of pay, but there's still a a long way to go. So I don't think it's necessarily women needing to do something about it. I think it's society as a whole, men and women together. Okay. All right, uh, Miss Yu, um, I think we'll have to con- uh, continue with this discussion uh, in a moment because uh, we have to take a break for the news very soon. Um, if you have any questions or comments for our guests today, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, now there's a, here's a quick look at the weather, mainly fine Warm during the day with a top temperature of around 25 degrees in the urban areas and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. Winds light to moderate easterlies and the outlook mainly fine and warm with relatively low visibility in the next couple of days. 21 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 80%. It's now 9.30 with a new summary. Here's Todd Harding. The White House says it supports a bill in the U.S. Congress that will give President Biden new powers to ban the Chinese-owned app TikTok and other foreign technologies it believes could pose security threats. Michael Beckerman, TikTok's head of public policy for the Americas, said the company had already devised solutions to protect user data and was beloved by over 100 million Americans. IT sex lawmaker Duncan Chu says the rising cases of phishing and other kinds of internet fraud is an irreversible trend, given the widespread use of the internet. He was commenting after a cybersecurity watchdog said there were over 13,000 phishing attacks in Hong Kong in the fourth quarter of 2022. And the UN Refugee Agency says it's profoundly concerned by new legislation in Britain designed to detain and deport people arriving by boat to claim asylum. The UNHCR said the bill would deny protection to many asylum seekers needing protection and undermine Britain's humanitarian tradition. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. The government has launched HK eToll. Sign up for the service and link a payment means now. With a vehicle tag, there is no need to stop to pay tunnel tolls. Tolls will be deducted from your account automatically without administrative fee or deposit. Starting from 5 a.m. on May 7th, HK eToll is first implemented at the Tsingsha control area and will be rolled out at other government toll tunnels in phases. Visit hketoll.gov.hk for more. Drive smart with HK eToll. Cannabis is a dangerous drug. From February 1st, 2023, cannabidiol or CBD is also a dangerous drug under the law. It is illegal to possess or trade CBD products in Hong Kong without permission. 
Also, don't bring any CBD products into Hong Kong from abroad. Trafficking or sales of CBD products will be subject to a maximum fine of $5 million and life imprisonment. Visit the Narcotics Division's webpage on CBD for details. CBD, not for me. Let's stand firm. Knock drugs out. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Still with us in the studio is Stephanie Ng, founder and executive director of Body Banter, a charity dedicated to empowering voices in conversations about body image and mental health. And on the line, we have Christine Yu, co-founder of Sophia, a female-focused financial education platform. Lawmaker Lam Chin Singh from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions is still here with us as well. And also Vera Yoon, a business lecturer at the University of Hong now, before we continue with our discussion, let me just uh, read out a few um, uh, Facebook comments that we got on, on this uh, topic. Um, this one is from T.C. Jung. He says, um, while I'm for women advancing in politics and everywhere else, I dislike the idea of having a woman in a position of power just for the sake of it instead of ability. And then he goes on. He says, uh, in 2020, Joe Biden announced that his running mate was going to be a woman before considering anything else ultimately deciding on Kamala Harris. And since being in power in 2015, the Justin Trudeau government in Canada prides itself on having an equal number of male and female ministers. And he goes on to say, to be honest, I find how Biden and Trudeau came to those personal decisions to be a bit condescending. Their rationale sounds as though the qualifications of Kamala Harris, Christia Freeland and Melanie Jolly, Canadian finance and foreign ministers, respectively, are completely overlooked for gender. And uh, that's from T.C. Jung. And uh, there's another message from Henry. He says... Uh, the rise in percentage of female executives and officials are based on their performance caliber and capability, not rise to satisfy the call to increase the ratio. So I guess uh, they have different views there. Um, maybe let's go to Miss Ng. What, what's your comment? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, perhaps we can say that um, people of different genders who step onto, um, you know, these professional positions or high level professional positions, all of them can um, vary in level of ability. Um, and there is something to be said about representation. What we know about, you know, even just from, you know, in my work um, with body image, you know, um, the representation of someone who looks like oneself on screen is a very powerful and it's very empowering for people, for young people to see um, because, you know, when they see that there is a role model that looks like them, then they are more motivated to try for those positions. They they know that it's possible. Um, so, you know, whether, you know, I, I understand and take the point that um, people can have different abilities. And um, again, you know, this can occur for any one of different genders. But representation, um, you know, is, is crucial in any type of, um, you know, in media, um, in positions of power. Um, it's even if it, within that organization, it doesn't immediately take effect in that sense. Um, you know, a lot of people are watching and seeing that, you know, there's more representation, more possibility in terms of representation, in terms of um, what people can achieve in the future. So I think that's an important point to consider as well. Yeah, okay. Um, well, we, we've been having a conversation earlier about, you know, how to 
break traditional gender roles. And, and you know, that's that's one thing you just mentioned. You've got to see people like yourself. You've got to see other women doing the same thing. Um, and, and also, you know, with some of the things um, that, that are more talked about, um, in recent years, um, that that are specific to women, maybe you know menopause and and the, and the, all the problems that go with it. But but Stephanie, you wanted to um, talk a little bit about period pains, yes. um, which which is less talk about than than um, you know problems for older women. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I really wanted to touch on this because I think that we see more representation of women for um, let's say that in later years or I'm hopeful in the coming years that we see more representation of women on in positions of power and also I hope to see more age diversity um, in terms of those women on those boards because um, realistically women of different ages have different experiences um, and while you know older women on boards is really important as well you know just to have those experiences of menopause or um, you know more experience in terms of uh, management and um, career types of um, you know, experiences, but with younger women, we can contribute ideas in terms of what happens when we have these types of period pains. Um, what about those early career struggles that we have? Um, what about body image concerns, which I know that there are intergenerational gaps in terms of um, why, you know, why younger women are more likely to um, be susceptible to media messages suggesting that, um, you know, our ability is tied to our appearance. And that's because of our highly connected world now. We have more access to um, social media and these connected forms of um, information. And so, you know, just going back to period pains and why I'm so passionate about, you know, talking about those kind of bodily experiences of women is because I think sometimes these lived experiences, these daily experiences don't get talked about or represented. Um, and these are, you know, these are realistically issues that will affect a woman's ability to, um, to perform also. Because when you're experiencing debilitating pain on a monthly basis, um, you need to have structural in place that that allow you um, to to take the rest you need um, to refresh and uh, to nourish yourself. So I just wanted to really touch on that. All right, I have a few more uh, back chat uh, uh, Facebook uh, messages, and this one is uh, maybe Mr. Lamb. You can respond to this. Uh, this one is from Henry. He says um, today's news said seventy percent of females don't want to bear children, and that means to some extent more female workers, since there would be less women having to leave work to take care of a family. Mr. Lamb. So, so your yeah. your concern about the, the lack of a childcare is uh, not really a concern, then, according to uh, Henry here. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I, I agree with that uh, because although um, now the government will provide uh, daycare child service through uh, many NGO, for example, the child care center and and also the neighborhood support child care project and, and and we have after school care program but but the service quota is limited and many families cannot get the service in fact but and we also suggest that the government to provide child care service in the primary school that's very important in the primary school uh, we use primary school as a child care center after school time and for example at the afternoon three to four o'clock the lesson end but uh, you can allow some of the students stay at school and no mm. need for the teacher to take care of them uh, the government input some resources to recruit the ngo and 
childcare worker enter to the school but and Mr. Lam, their students. But yes. Mr. Lam, what, what our listener yeah. Henry is saying is that uh, there, there is a, a news story today about a study. And I, I believe the study is uh, by the Federation of Trade Unions. Uh, it says basically females don't want to bear children like many of them that they surveyed don't want to have children anymore. So your concern oh. about childcare is uh, not really that serious, yeah. is it? Yeah, but uh, of course, um, I think uh, one one of the points is that if the government can, can be, because uh, uh, for some of the females, they, um, um, they, they did not want to uh, have a baby, main, uh, they have many considerations. Uh, one is the child care service, uh, but of, of course another is uh, considered the financial burden in the future. So uh, I think it is the fact that the birth weight in Hong Kong has been declined and the fraternity leave, uh, uh, the fraternity rate mm. is very low in, in Hong Kong. And I think, but, but we are disappointed that the, the budget uh, two weeks ago, do not have many measures to encourage uh, childbirth, um, and the budget only suggests to. I remember that to increase the basic child allowance and the additional child allowance uh, for each child born, but only benefit uh, for the taxpayer who have children. But I think the government can be more progressive and provide more support to encourage childbirth, for example, to consider introduce a progressive uh, child tax allowance, more children and more tax allowance. Right. And, and, and I think the government can also provide the child, improve the child medical service in, yeah. in the community so that uh, they, 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 the female will reduce their worry and, and maybe have, have a baby. I mean, childcare is only one aspect of a woman's yeah. life. We've, we've been talking yeah. here about other aspects, such as period pain, such as menopause. As a lawmaker, do you do you feel that these are issues that need to be addressed um, in, in order to take better care of women in Hong Kong in general? Not just about childcare, but about other issues such as period pains, such as menopause. Uh, what do you yes, think? I, uh, yeah, I, I think the government can uh, uh, through different kind of measure to uh, address the problem. Uh, for example, uh, the child care service is, is uh, one of the measures and also other measures to encourage childbirth and, and also okay. provide many support and training for the female. I think that's also very important. Okay, Christine, you, what do you think? More, more should, should we do more? I mean, Stephanie here um, mentioned um, we need to look at the problems women of different ages face. Period pains, menopause. What do you think, Christine Yu? Well, you know, my focus is on financial equity, but I, I certainly, um, you know, take the view that I think, you know, diversity um, in, in decision-making, in leadership is important, right? And as a result of that, we have to ensure that we are looking at women's unique features, right? Because women bring such incredible diversity um, of thought and innovation to leadership. So, so yes, absolutely. We need to make sure that, um, you know, period pain and all the, all the, and, and menopause, these are unique factors of women's health. Um, I think that studies have shown that, you know, women's health has, has not been um, a priority in, in healthcare systems. I mean, you see statistics around maternal death. 
um, generally speaking. I mean, there are also, you know, some studies that have shown that, you know, period pain apparently is, and I might be horribly misquoting um, the statistics here, is akin to kind of small heart attacks, right? And so women just bear this pain um, all the time. And I think, you know, we do need to make sure that, you know, whether it's workplaces um, or, or, you know, a society as a whole, that we're able to, to ensure that, you know, women have the tools um, and the care um, to address their unique needs um, so, so that we can have a more equitable society. All right. And uh, Ms. Yu, um, maybe you can help us answer this uh, next uh, message or next comment from our listener, T.C. Jung, um, because uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, women's uh, career advancement, uh, their mm-hmm. traditional role as women, uh, like uh, in the, the caregiving role. And uh, T.C. Jung here, he says, in the case of Hong Kong, I often find it disturbing that women's career advancement is built on subcontracting housework to women from Southeast Asia in the form of foreign domestic helpers. I find this irony to be quite rich. And uh, that's from T.C. Jung. Ms. Yu? I think, yes. I mean, I think that, so I'm a Filipina myself. Um, I grew up here in Hong Kong uh, as an expatriate child. So I see this struggle with um, the women from my country. Um, I think that when you look at the statistics, you know, Hong Kong is going to just, um, you know, uh, have more domestic helpers come um, to 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 take care of elderly, right, and, and child care, um, and expected like increasing from you know over three hundred thousand domestic helpers to six hundred thousand by twenty thirty. So um, is that a solution? It isn't. And again, I think we need to look at well, you know, how do other countries handle you know this the 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 the, the tasks of caregiving and elderly care, right? Um, whether or not child care is going to be a thing of the past because we are having an we do have an aging society you still have elderly care as a challenge. It's still caregiving, right? So when you look at Scandinavian countries, you see that, you know, it's a much more equitable split. And it just goes back again to traditional gender roles and who is doing the care, right? Um, You know, this incredible Hong Kong charity, um, Enrich, um, which I I really kind of admire the the work they do for financial equity for migrant domestic workers. They issued an incredible report called The Value of Care, um, where they quantified the, the economic contributions of the migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong, and it is vast. So I encourage everyone to read that research report. So bottom line, it comes down to traditional gender roles and what kind of society do we want it to look like, right? Do we want to see more equitable, um, you know, society where maybe we will not need, um, you know, to have, you know, our migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong if we're able to fix, if we're able to agree on the fact that, you know, caring for children um, is a family responsibility and not just something that women have to take on. Yeah, I mean, you, you say you're from the Philippines. Um, that, you know, in the Philippines, that seems to be the switch that women are the breadwinners and not men. Why? Why do you think that is that they've made the switch? I don't know if there's a switch, um, really. I mean, I think that it's, it's just more a function of um, economic history um, in the country and, and economic opportunities, right, where it's become where there's a supply and demand um, for care um, and, and that demand is coming from overseas and that demand um, is paying more um, than what these women um, can earn back home. So I don't know that it's necessarily a switch. It's, it's, it's a function of supply and demand for care.
It is a fact that um, there are more women who are breadwinners and, than the men, and so many of the women of the Philippines have to work overseas. Well, it's not just the Philippines, right? There are a lot of countries also um, with large populations of migrant domestic workers. But certainly in the Philippine case, you know, um, remittances from these migrant domestic workers are a large percentage of, of GDP. Um, so I, I would say that it, 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 it's, a, it, it's, a, it's, it's a situation that, you know, we need to, to really look at um, and, and see well, what is sustainable um, way um, of of providing care um, and what's a sustainable um, means of livelihood. I mean, I think it gets to the heart of that. Oops, I think we've lost Christine you on the phone. No, right. no, I'm oh. here. Oh, you so, sorry, sorry, somebody else. Must have. All right, um, I have an email here from David. Uh, let me just read it and see uh, if any of you want to respond. Uh, it's uh, He says, Women are getting too big for their boots. They want to work. Uh, so now they will abuse more women in the domestic helper circuit. Men do not like working on the women who have bad tempers with menstrual problems. We don't want to deal with this sort of problem. And uh, that's David's uh, own personal view. Miss um, Ng, do you have any, do you want to respond to that? I think I need to clarify the question. Does it, is this person suggesting that you know, that people with menstrual problems are not interesting to work with, perhaps. I think, I think he's saying that, that men don't like to work under cranky women. Ah, I see. Um, well, um, first of all, I'm really hopeful that implementing some type of structural change in terms of supporting women when they are experiencing menstrual pain or other types of menstrual problems um, would help with this issue if that is the concern you know being able to give um, women a space to talk about these concerns and to be treated in a respectful respectful way um, I think would be a very supportive way of changing um, at the structural level um, and also um, yeah I think that to a certain extent, uh, you know, the dominant narrative surrounding women and menstrual pain, even going back to the, um, you know, the 1800s when we talked about, you know, hysteria and labeling women as quote unquote crazy and just, you know, labeling women in these uh, negative lights. Um, I think a lot of times these dominant discourses still prevail um, and, uh, you know, different genders um, experience different issues. So, um, yeah, just respectfully wanted to respond to that and say that, uh, you know, hopefully we can implement structures mm -hmm. that support Right. Uh, people of all genders. Right. And Miss Yu, uh, we're sort of running out of time. But um, do you have any response to that? I mean, it, it, does that sort of illustrate the uh, difficulties and challenges women have in, in a way in, in their uh, career advancement? I mean, because some people just have views like that. I mean, there are different Absolutely. And it gets to, again, everything that I've said about traditional stereotypes and traditional roles. And we have a lot to do um, in terms of, you know, making sure that as a society, we're, we're listening to one another, um, we're taking into account each other's needs. Um, and again, I think I really want to just end here with saying, you know, diversity drives innovation in everything mm -hmm. we do in society, in business, in politics. Um, you know, we need diversity of thought, and that includes um, women uh, as well participating very actively in, in, in business and politics. All right, uh, Miss Yu, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this uh, this morning. And that's uh, Christine Yu, co-founder of Sophia, a female-focused financial education platform. Also, many thanks to Miss Ng. Stephanie Ng is uh, the founder and executive director of Body Banter, a charity dedicated to empowering voices in conversations about body image and mental health. Also, uh, many thanks to lawmaker Lam Chin Singh from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions and Fiora Yoon, a business lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. 
It's now coming up to. Uh, well, it's now 9.51 and it's time to move on to our next topic about a new survey on youth poverty in Hong Kong. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned, Stay tuned. with Hong Kong. Now, a study carried out by Lingnan University has found that around 40% of respondents view themselves as living in poverty. And many of them who are working full-time said the statutory minimum wage is too low and they don't really benefit from it. To find out more about the actual situation, we're joined on the line now by Si Lai Shan, the Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization. Good morning, Miss C. Good morning. Thanks Thanks. for joining us on the program. Um, So what do you think of these survey results? I mean, does it uh, reflect an accurate uh, picture of the uh, real situation? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, uh, the, actually now the inflation is very high. And uh, even now, uh, actually, we resume the, the more normal, uh, life. But actually, the, uh, wage is still low. And, uh, some of them, they get a job, but they still, uh, not, uh, some of them, they're not a full time. So the, the income for those people is low. And then, uh, uh, it's very helpful for them. Yeah. So some of the young people that you work with, uh, Sila Shan, what are some of the difficulties in finding work um, during COVID and now after COVID? Uh, for those, they, they cannot go to college. Actually, they quite hard because uh, they, are, they, they, uh, they need to do many work and those many work, the, the, the wage is low. And then uh, many of them, they need to support the whole family. And uh, the other is uh, for those even they uh, go to college, but they uh, they the the life expenses they they need to uh, earn the money to support their daily uh, expenses. And then after they graduate, they need to uh, pay for those uh, you know the 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 uh, to the debt because they have the study. They need to pay a lot of the uh, expenditure. And they need to support the whole family. For example, if they are CSSA family, the, the CSSA of their family members would be would be uh, cancelled there. And then they they need to be uh, support. They need to support the whole family. So it's uh, quite uh, heavy for them. And then um, uh, some of them actually because they want to have a uh, better uh, development, and then they want to further study and. Uh, uh, school fee is very high, uh, so right. so yeah. they always, you know, that whole whole life they have many debts that they didn't pay. Mm-hmm. Studying is one thing. Um, when young people are poorly paid, especially mm. with rent being so expensive, housing being so expensive in Hong Kong, it means that they can never move out of their parental yes, home. Yes, yes. Uh, some of them they need to uh, pay for rent, uh, but actually many of them they, they try. They, they even they want to live independently, but because they can afford it, so they will live with their family. But the living condition is very uh, hard, and they don't they, they don't have their individual space. So if they want to go to go out to rent, it's too expensive. 
In, in, yeah. in, your, in your work, what are some of the consequences when young people are unable to have their individual private spaces? Uh, some of them, they will feel quite uh, uh, upset that, or some of them, they have mental health problems. And uh, they quite lost their confidence for their future this kind of thing, yeah. You have worked as a uh, with with Soko for so many years now. Do you think these problems are getting better or worse in Hong Kong? I think it's uh, for the youth actually. We find it's uh, uh, getting worse. I think it's for the youth because they feel uh, the future is uh, unclear, and then their burden is getting more. Uh, we we did not do much for to relieve their burden for example for the uh, I, I think it is from from they are very young they study they already feel they are inequality um they they don't have enough resources to catch up with the uh curriculum and the education system and then they uh they, they need to adapt it uh when they are uh, not yet have a job and then when they have a job they they need to pay for the debt quite heavy and then the family is also you know many of them they are from grassroots their family some of them are long-term disease some are par- grandpa- uh, a single parent and some are even actually they are orphan so or some of their fa- <coughs> their mother they are actually they are always uh, no id card in hong kong just missing them so there are many problems they they feel very depressed upset and many of them actually quite uh, 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 not communicate with others and then, and then cause themselves, uh, uh, when they feel they, they, they don't know how to, uh, develop themselves and they don't have opportunity. Yeah. Well, so what do you think can be done to help these young people? Should the government do, be doing something? Yeah, I, think, I think when, and actually we need to, uh, 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 uh review the whole, Children and youth uh, policies and supporting because uh, uh, in, in, when they're young, we already have many. Uh, we don't have enough resources to support. They have a uh, uh, decent housing and have a uh, equal education opportunity. And then when they are in university, they need to go to work. Otherwise, they cannot have day females a day. You know, some of them even because the CSSA will be cut there. The, the low income. A payment for their family would be cut there. So I think this kind of thing we need to uh, solve it there. Yeah. But the, government, then, uh, the government is already doing uh, quite a bit. I mean, they, they're providing some housing for, no, 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 for no. abuse. Uh, actually, some of them, they, their family may wait for public housing for eight years, ten years, especially for those big family, four or five, they need to wait for over eight years. That means in over eight Eight years they need to live in really poor conditions. They don't have table to study, and then at the same time, the school have the requirement they cannot pay for that. And then they they, they see that their classmate they can afford it. They can have that kind of uh, learning opportunity. So there's a, some kind of comparison, and then competition they cannot reach to. Right. So, so it's not just about uh, having their own place to live. It, it also concerns yeah, yeah. their uh, their mental health in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Sila-shan, I know that you work also with uh, uh, young people from ethnic minorities. Do they have problems that are specific to them 
in this regard? Uh, I think for them is uh, uh, more difficult. Is uh, they many of them actually uh, for they they hard to integrate to Hong Kong, and then they when they learn Chinese, the support is not enough. All right, so, so Missy, I'm afraid uh, we have to leave it here for now. We're out of time. Thanks okay, again okay. for joining us Thank this you. morning. And that's uh, Silei Shan, the Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today, and of course to our guest presenter Jenny Lam and producer Christy. I'll be back with another edition of Back Chat tomorrow with Danny Gittings.